Hey, what's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. It is day 23, and we're about to hop in to Exodus 16 through 18. Last time we left off, we saw God delivered the Israelites. They sang the song, and then God enters into testing. And we talked about this a lot, that God tests his people. He refines his man, but now we're about to start seeing this on a corporate level. And if any of you know how hard it is to refine one sinner, try refining two to three million of them. <laughs> it's a, I don't think a lot of us think about this. Have you ever went camping with a group of people? Uh, if you go with your family, that's challenging. You go with a troop, that's even more challenging. Have you ever gone camping with a thousand people? What about a hundred thousand? What about two to three million people? And we have to get this in our mind because I think a lot of us see Moses leading this small group and we compare it maybe to what our church would look like. And I don't care if your church is 30 people or a hundred people or even thousands of people. This does not compare to the light that Moses had. Moses was leading millions of people. Can you imagine the burden that's on him? All of the complaining is coming from everywhere. And that could take a toll on a man, which is why Moses would tell God, take me out, kill me now. This is difficult. And we've got to take it easy on Moses because he had it really hard. He had it coming from everywhere, his leadership team and his people. And he's about to get it again today. As we enter into chapter 16, they're in the wilderness and we know that a, a simple two-week journey is about to take them 40 years, and we'll talk about that more. And so it says in verse 2 that the whole congregation and the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, where you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They said that when Pharaoh was coming, they said it again at Mara when they had no water. Now they're saying it again when they have no food. And you got to remember this. What do they have in their possession? They're wealthy. They have all of Egypt's possessions and it's given to them by way of Yahweh. But that doesn't matter. They have short-term memory here. They have memory loss. As some people say, they have selective memory. And this is how God really refines his people. You know what he gets on? He doesn't really get on your wants. See, that affects children and immature people when you don't allow them to get what they want. If you want a fully mature person, get on what they need. See, this is what God is getting at in Matthew 6, where he says, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you go up, those aren't wants. Those are needs, what you shall eat and drink and how you'll be clothed. This is what the Gentiles seek. These aren't evil things. That's not a Ferrari. That's my daily bread. And God is teaching us to trust him with needs because why? That meal on your plate isn't your portion. God is your portion. And he has to teach mankind that, that he is their portion. And he teaches it with the basic necessities of life. 
If you want to get somebody's attention, that's how you get it. That principle is even in Thessalonians. If a person doesn't work, he doesn't eat. See, if you start depriving a person of his basic necessities, you will get his attention. And this is what's happening here. God is getting their attention and showing to them, revealing to them what's in their heart. That's the purpose of the law. And so God is trying to teach them what the law does. It reveals you your nature. It's our tutor that teaches us of our depravity. And God is the master teacher. And he's about to bring in the law. And he's starting to reveal their sin to them by giving them tests. And here's one, they're hungry. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain down bread from heaven to you, and that the people shall go out and gather a, a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my instruction. And on the sixth day, look at what he's doing. He's starting. We don't have a commandment to keep the Sabbath yet. The commandments don't come until Exodus 20, the Decalogue. But remember, we got our first usage of the word Torah. And you see how beautiful the scripture is. It's starting to unfold laws now until, and the intensity is going to increase more and more until we get to the Ten Commandments and the law. And we're very close. We'll see them in just a few chapters. But they're grumbling. And it says here, I love this in verse 8. Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. We must hear that clearly and we must hear that slowly. I heard it put this way and this resonates to the core of my being. Every complaint is a complaint against God. We have to realize that in the, in the winter, I'm cold. In the summer, I'm hot. When we don't like the food, I don't like this. It's nasty. When somebody's going over on time, when somebody's bothering us, we get irritated. I'm irritable. When things don't go our way, we show our emotion. And who are we really complaining against? Who orchestrates our day? Who brings all of the circumstances, all of the encounters into our day? Is it not Yahweh? So, should we not look at every encounter as an opportunity to grow and to be refined and to conform into the image of Jesus Christ? And when we complain, who are we really complaining against? When we complain about the weather, are we really grumbling to the weatherman? When we complain about people, are we really grumbling about their character flaws or certain preferences we don't like? Not quite. When we complain, we're grumbling against the Lord God Almighty. So if we get this in our DNA, that every complaint that we have is a complaint against God, that should slow us down a little more to live life with a little more gratitude and to be a little more grateful for each day. Let's not grumble against the Lord God Almighty. Let's practice gratitude and thanksgiving for this is what the Lord desires. So it came about in the evening that the quail came up and covered the camp and there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew evaporated, there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And the sons of Israel said, what is it? And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And he tells them to take an omer. 
which is an old measurement from that time, which is why Moses helps us to convert it. In verse 36, he says, now Omer is the tent of an ephah. And he tells them to gather it. But look at this. Some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. But they don't listen to Moses, and they get greedy, and some keep excess. And so look at what God does. He allows worms to come and take some of it, and it becomes foul. And also, not just the worms, the sun would grow hot, and it would melt. And so God shows that he not only can give this miracle food, he can make it dissipate miraculously as well because he does the exact opposite. He causes the properties to dissipate quickly initially, but when he wants it to last for them honoring his word in the Sabbath, he allows the expiration date to extend. That's the beauty of our God. He rewards obedience. The same thing. The same measure, the same portion that you have that expires can be extended. And it's only one difference, and it's obedience, and it's God honoring that. And I love to see that, but obviously they get greedy. And this is where you see it in the text. In verse 29, it says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. And he tells them to take an omerful and it should be kept throughout the generations that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness. And that is amazing to me. So the same bread that will dissipate from disobedience would stay there for obedience, would also stay there longer for teaching its generation. That is miraculous. That is just powerful to see what God emphasizes as important. He makes provisions for we move into chapter 17. Now we get another test. There's no water again. And it says that therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock from thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go there and stand before a rock at Horeb and strike the rock, and water will come out of it so the people could drink. But we have to get the name of this place. It says, The place was called Massa and Mirabah, and that means test and contention. And so this is a place of test. And contention, and it's to remind the people what they did at this place. They grumbled against the Lord, and they tested the Lord, and this is sinful. Now, we got to get an important note in verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him. So we get our first mention of Joshua. And it's interesting that we get our first mention here because they have to fight against Amalek and his people. I want you to notice something in verses 11 and 12. They have to hold Moses' hands up. And so it came about when Moses held his hands up that Israel prevailed. 
And when they let his hands down, Amalek prevailed. This is interesting. So can you imagine two to three million people looking at this and they see hands go up and they win and they see hands go down and they lose? What is that communicating to the people? That God fights for them. In fact, I want to make an interesting note here. In verse 12, it says that his hands were supported. That word for support is the same word, the New Testament word for faith. So we get a deeper, broader meaning of what it means to have faith. It doesn't mean that you do something. It means that you trust in the Lord and he does everything. You obey him and his word and he fights for you. And that's what we're seeing here. And so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. But let's grab a few things before we walk out of chapter 17. First, they're testing God at Masa and Meribah, a place of testing and contention. Remember yesterday, they tested him at Mara, and this is where we have to tie our Lord and Savior to this. Because what happens to Jesus, he gets tested in the wilderness. And this is why I wanted to work hard to develop the term corporate solidarity, which Judah established. He was tying himself to his people where he said, I'll be a surety for my family. David will tie into this with corporate solidarity and Jesus will do it as well. Whether one stands in place for the many. So Jesus becomes Israel. And Jesus becomes the king, and he can stand in the place for Israel, for Adam, for us, and pass the test that they didn't pass. So Adam fails at his test. Israel fails at their test. And we're going to see how Jesus links himself to all of these in the New Testament. In fact, to show you this, how many years were Israel in the wilderness? Forty, right? How many days did Jesus go into the wilderness? Forty. That's no coincidence. He's linking himself to Israel to show that he's the new Israel and he's going to pass all of the tests that they failed. And look at what he quotes. He quotes that you should not put the Lord God to what? To test. That's no coincidence. And if you see what he quoted, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 16, which says, do not put them to the test like you did at Mara. And so Jesus is linking himself to test that Israel could not pass to show that, look, I will pass these tests and I am the true king that was prophesied about in Genesis 49, that the scepter will not depart from Judah and Shiloh will come. I am Shiloh. I am the prince of peace. And we get that here. Another note that we have to get is this word Amalek. So Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Remember when I told you Esau didn't hate Jacob, but his children very so much so hated Jacob's children. And we're going to see a few develop and the few so great where we know that lineage of Jacob is going to lead to Christ. Well, the lineage of Esau is the seed of the serpent to the point where you'll see demonic attacks where God says, I will utterly block them out. That's Genesis 3.15 language. It's enmity here. There's war here to the point. This is why you have to pay attention when we get to the historical narrative of, of 1 Samuel, 
where Saul is appointed king and he does not. You remember a king by the name of Agag? He does not kill him and God takes Saul's throne from him. Why did he do that? It's because of this right here in Genesis 17. He said, I would utterly blot them out from the face of the earth. Saul refuses to obey this command here. So God takes his kingship from him. And this is important because they want to wipe out and extinguish the Jews. This is going to come back up again. The Agagites flow from King Agag, which flow from Amalek. And this will lead all the way to the book of Esther. We'll read about a man by the name of Haman. And guess what he is? He's an Agagite who flows all the way from this lineage back from Genesis 17. And it's a problem that they didn't solve, that Saul didn't take care of, comes back to hunt them, and they are trying to extinguish the Jews. You remember that in, in Esther? That's what that book is about. They want to extinguish the Jews. Why do they want to do that? That's the plot. It's going to come up over and over again. And I'll point this out maybe through our walk of Scripture, probably at least a dozen times. But I wanted you to get those notes as we move into chapter 18 and we get a note from Jethro, the priest of Midian. So he worships false gods, the gods of Midian, but he starts to learn something from Moses. So it says in chapter 18, 1, that Jethro, his father-in-law, hears what God had done for Moses and all of Israel, and he converts. This is powerful. Look at verse 11. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. What did God want to prove? That he was the most high and that he was greater than all the gods. Not only has he taught Israel that, he's starting to teach people outside of Israel. This is why the rabble comes. This is why the mixed multitude comes. This is why the servants go to Pharaoh and say, you need to stop. This is why Jethro is converting. And this is the purpose of Israel. They were always supposed to be a witness in nation and to make an international impact. They were never supposed to keep their faith for themselves and to become inward focused and to become prideful and self-centered. But that's exactly what happens. God wanted to train Israel to refine them, to make them holy, to set them apart. So they would go out and win the loss and people would proselytize to the Jewish faith. And we start to see it happening here. This is how it was supposed to happen. And now Jethro starts to give Moses wisdom. He gives him counsel on how to delegate and management organization. And this is just otherworldly wisdom that he gives him and that it eventually gets implemented. And that's how our chapter rides out of him giving him that wisdom. And we're about to move to one of the most important chapters in the book of Exodus, where God speaks to Israel and he gives them their purpose. So if you ever wanted to know the purpose of Israel, catch us next time as we talk about it on day 24, Exodus 19 through 21. You don't want to miss those chapters. Y'all take care.